I honestly don't know what Danny's talking about. This is one of the most comfortable places to sit. Partly because it's a fairly comfortable chair. Uh, these chairs started out in some church somewhere as like the, you know, they used to have like the royal chairs on the platform and, the, you know, the deacons or somebody would sit up here. Um, the other reason that it's super comfortable to sit in is that for our series that we're in, this chair represents the throne of our lives. And for all of us, this is the most comfortable place to sit. We would rather sit in this throne than let anybody else or anything else take this spot most of the time. Today we're going to talk about, uh, we've got quite a bit of scripture that we're going to read through today. Um, but we're going to be in Romans mainly, uh, chapter 7 and chapters 8. And so I'll let you turn there while I begin things. And I want to start with a bit of a confession, and that's this. I, I struggle personally to give God control in my life. In lots of different areas. I struggle. It's difficult. I fail at it. And I am just downright no good at giving God control in my life. Um, most, most any area of my life, if you look closely enough... There is, you can see where I am specifically choosing to take control. Um, some days I do better than others, but there's always some example that you can see in my own life, whether it's how I interact with my kids and lose my temper, whether it's how I interact with my wife and I do stupid things and spend money I shouldn't spend, whether it's just how I budget money or fail to budget money, whether it's how I spend my free time, whether it's how I chastise Justin for breaking strings on my guitar, um, which hasn't happened in quite a while, I'll say, Justin. I was a little surprised. Justin got a little heavy-handed. He got excited during that song, didn't you? It's good. It's a good song. Um, all that to say, I struggle to give God the control that not only He deserves, but the control that He demands in my life. And I know, I know for a fact that I am not alone. That if we had enough chairs like this one up here for all of us, I would see each and every one of you at some point plopping down, putting your feet up, and getting comfortable in the throne. Now, some of you may say, well, no, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I, 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 you know, I, I take care, I, I, I look after my neighbors, and I, 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 I treat my kids well, and I, you know, I don't, I've got a fish on my car and, you know, all these things. I don't cut people off. It's, it's beyond that. And there are, without a doubt, 
for each and every one of us, no matter how young, no matter how old we are, there are always areas of our life where we fail to give this seat to God. And a big part of this series that we've been working on is trying to figure out why. And I I looked at a bunch of passages this week that I thought, well, maybe that'll help me understand. Galatians 3.22 says this. Scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. That passage tells me two things. One... We have freedom only through Jesus Christ. And if you think you can come to spiritual, personal, life freedom of any sort, in any other way, I can guarantee you that you will fail. We can only come to God and we only have freedom from sin through Jesus Christ. He's the one and only way. That's the most important thing. Well, it's kind of both are important. Scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. And I think that is why we just keep wanting to sit comfortably in this chair. What I don't understand, though, is if I'm a prisoner to sin, it shouldn't be comfortable, should it? Prison, kind of by definition, is the removal of comfort, the removal of freedom, the removal of anything that you should want in life. That's, uh, that, I've never been in prison, like physical prison. I've been in visited prison. I've had friends who've been in prison, and I've talked to them about it, and they didn't say good things about their time there. Um, they, they would rather not be there. They'd rather be anywhere but there. Um, that's why you see people try to escape from prison. However, Scripture tells us that we are all prisoners. And sadly, I don't see many of us digging holes trying to get out. So our passage today is going to help us, I think, deal with that. Before we dig into the passage, though, I want to ask a question, and maybe you all can help me with some of the answers. Part of what I tried to think through this week was, what are some practical ways that we refuse to give God control in our lives? Because being a prisoner to sin basically means that we are refusing to give God the control of our lives that He deserves. So, what are some ways? What are some some actual practical ways that we refuse to give God control? Anybody got an idea? Sonny? Lack of tithing. Ooh, yeah, that one hits close to home for lots of us, doesn't it? That's hard. What's, a, what's another practical way that we don't, we choose not to give control to God? Time. How we spend our time, what we do with ourselves. Yes, uh, for everybody, that's a, a huge thing. What else? What's another practical way that we refuse to give God control? How often we're in our Bible, reading the Bible, prayer, all those kind of things, they, they go right together. 
Worry? Yeah. How many of you worry? Okay. How many of you worry whether you locked the car? Okay. There's some of that. How many of you worry whether you're going to have enough money for retirement? Yeah. How many of you worry if you're going to be sick and can't take care of yourself? How many of you worry? I mean, we all, yeah, all of us worry to some extent. Some of us are more blessed with worry than others. (laughs) Um, We definitely worry. Uh, How about some just really super practical things like this? How many of you have at the beginning of the year said, you know, I really should exercise? Uh, Yeah. I'm not saying that you went. I'm saying you said you should you should exercise, right? I've said that a lot. I, I, I've gone through times in my life, Rob, you, you know this, several of you know this. I, I did CrossFit for a while, uh, two, three, four years, something like that. And I got where I was in pretty good shape. And I hurt myself and I couldn't do it. And so I switched up my workout routine. And about Thanksgiving of last year, um, I just got bored with it. I got bored going to the gym. And so I just stopped and you know what? I was okay with that. <laughs> um, I, like, really okay with it. I enjoyed sleeping uh, past 5.30 in the morning. Uh, I, I enjoyed it a lot. But I, I decided in July, I took a sabbatical during July. I want to thank you all for that. I decided as a part of that, I was going to try and get back to the gym because I knew I needed the exercise just for my physical health. And you know how many times I went to the gym during July? Twice. <laughs> for the whole month. I, two days back to back. Now, that's pretty good. I, I, I went one day, and I went back the next day, and then I hurt really bad, so I stopped. <laughs> but here's, here's the point, though, is that I knew that I needed to exercise. Now, I'll, I will say, we went and did, we walked a bunch at the track, and we took the girls and the swam, and we walked, and we, we did some other things, but I didn't do what I knew I really needed to do. I didn't do what I wanted. I mean, my mind told me, it's like I knew, I, I wanted even. I, I, I like the feeling of working out and, and feeling better physically, being able to do more things. I like that feeling. But evidently, I don't like it as much as I like sleep. There's this battle that happens in my mind, my conscious mind says, you should do this. And then that little voice in the back of my head says, but you're tired. But it's going to hurt. But it's hard. And nobody will know if you don't go. And so who wins? Not my conscious mind, that voice in the back that whispers. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 7. Now, um, the passage I think that you have listed, I don't know if it starts in chapter 8, but many of your Bibles will say at the beginning of chapter 8, it says, therefore... Right? And so you got to see what's the there, therefore, therefore. You got to go back 
And so for me, you can't, I had a hard time looking at chapter 8 without looking at chapter 7. And I was really convicted by a lot of what chapter 7 had to say. So we're going to start in verse 14. And we're going to read uh, 14 through the end of that chapter. And then we're going to read in chapter 8 a little bit later. But So I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. And it may read a little differently than what you have. If you're using a version Bible app, you can switch to that. So you can read right along with me. You'll, we'll also have the words on the screen. So if you're reading out of a New King James or an ESV or a Holman Christian Standard or a NIV or whatever... Um, it's all saying about the same thing. I just like the way this one reads. It makes sense to me. So, chapter 7, verse 14. So, the trouble is not with the law. He's talking about the Old Testament law, Moses' law that the Israelites had to follow. They had all these different laws and rules and regulations. They had all these things they had to do. He's saying, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. There it is again. We saw that in Galatians as well. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So, I am not the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. He's talking here about the difference between our conscious, kind of like what I was talking about with my working out. It's, it's our conscious mind. We know. The Spirit in us knows. This is what you should do. The law is good. We choose to not to listen to that little voice in the back of our heads that gives us the easy path. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That's where that little voice lives, in me. He's not good. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. Now, don't hear this the wrong way. He's not saying, well, it's not really my fault. I can't be held responsible for this. There's extenuating circumstances. That's not at all what he's saying. What he's saying is, it's the fault of the sin nature that lives in each and every one of us. And there's this battle, this war, this invisible war, like this series that we're talking about. There's this invisible war that's happening in us all the time, back and forth, back and forth. I mean, if you may picture the old cartoons that had the little devil over here and the little angel over here, it's these two voices that are constantly at war. But the difference is they're not on the outside of us. They don't pop up and we can see them. It's the Holy Spirit in us as believers and the sin nature that the Holy Spirit so wants us to kick out. But we can't. So he's not saying, oh, it's not my fault. He's saying, 
It's not the fault of his conscious self. It's just this sin nature is so strong that it's really difficult. Verse 21, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Man, I cannot tell you how many days I have prayed something similar to that. Why do I keep doing this? Why, God? You want better for me. Why do I keep doing this? Why do you let me do this? Do you cause this? How does this happen? We are all, all of us are the same this way. We all fail. We all are slaves to sin. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. (sighs) That's hard. That's heavy, isn't it? There's just... I don't, I don't want to be a slave to sin. I don't want to keep going back to this sin. I, you know, there's other passages that say it's like a dog returns to its vomit, right? That's gross. You know what happens, though. You've seen it. Your dog probably does it, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, Brad's smiling at me like, you eh, well. But it's, that's, the, that's, that's how it is. Our because of the sinful nature that's in each of us, because of the fall of man with Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, both of them. It wasn't one or the other. It was both of them. They both fell. They both chose poorly. Um, They chose poorly, and so we all suffer because of it. We are all recipients of that sin nature that lives in each and every one of us. From the very youngest, you know, little baby, to the oldest of us, that sin nature is present. But you see at the end, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. We're going to talk a little bit more about the answer to that. Part of what he says there is that we are slaves to sin. We've talked about this. I would take it a step further, though. A little further than we are just slaves to sin. Because of what he says here at the end, and what he says following in chapter 8 that we're going to read, we choose... To be slaves. You choose 
to be a slave. Now, that nature is in you. It's in you, and it's hard. That voice is back there whispering at you, Oh, it's okay. Just do it. It'll feel good. It'll make you happy. And you choose to listen and obey that voice of the sinful nature that lives in you. That's why it's difficult because the voice that speaks to me of my sinful nature sounds different than the voice that speaks to you or the voice that speaks to you or to you or to you. They all sound different because that voice knows how to talk to you. Knows exactly what to say to get you to choose sin. In 1973, some of you will remember, I was like not born yet, so I don't remember, but I've heard about it. I've read about it. <laughs> um, 1973 in Stockholm, Sweden, there was a bank that some guys came in and they were robbing the bank. And so uh, this big thing ensued and they were in there for six days and they held captive the employees of the bank there for six days. Anybody remember this from the news? I'm, I'm gonna, show me your hands. You remember when this happened in Stockholm, Sweden? Six days they held captive, and there was a big fight with the, you know, the police and the authorities, and they finally, at the end of six days, they were able to bring to conclusion, uh, and they, they captured the guys, they captured the, the people who, who went into the bank, and they kept all these hostages captive. The strangest thing happened, though. At the end of those six days, and when they had the, the guys in jail, and they were taking them uh, to trial... All of the employees from the bank, every one of them, not one person would testify against the transgressors. Not one person would testify against the people who held them captive against their will for six days in a bank. In fact, some of them went so far as to testify on behalf of the criminals. That just seems stupid. I just, I can't imagine. If somebody takes me prisoner for six days and holds me captive to take somebody else's money, I am, I am definitely going to make sure that they get what's coming to them. But not one of the people in that bank would testify against the transgressors. Not one of them. What came out of that experience is a, a, a syndrome called the Stockholm Syndrome. Anybody heard of that? Stockholm Syndrome? A lot of you have. This is what it comes from. The Stockholm Syndrome basically says that if, if you're in, in a, a, a bad situation, somebody's doing bad to you, it's where you, you begin to associate with and for the criminal. 
You begin to associate and think good things about, oh, well, they, you know, they, they really needed the money. They were really nice to me while they held me captive for six days. You know, they, they made sure I went to the bathroom and I had food and they, they didn't, you know, they weren't mean to me. Nobody shot me, you know, I've got all my limbs. So I, surely they, they can't be bad people. They've got to be good people. And, and they came up with all these reasons and they somehow over those six days became conditioned to think well of their captors. It's my premise that that's what we suffer from as human beings, each and every one of us. We suffer from Stockholm Syndrome. We've been held captive by sin our whole lives. Now, some of us are better at seeing through the sin to, to what really is behind it, seeing through through the transgressor and knowing that's evil. And I'm going to try and push away from that. But that sin nature is in there in our minds, talking to us and convincing us that sin's not really so bad. It's okay. That sin wants what's good for you. That sin will make you happy. That sin will make you wealthy. Right? <laughs> that voice is in the back of our minds, constantly speaking to us, convincing us that the sin in our lives is not really sin. And when we are convinced that sin is not sin we begin to think, well, why shouldn't I do that? Why shouldn't I live that way? Why shouldn't I act this way? Why shouldn't I do those things? Why shouldn't I cut this corner? Why shouldn't I look at him? Why shouldn't I look at her? Why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I? Because it's not so bad. The difficulty for us comes in this, is that we can see it in other people, but we have a hard time seeing it in ourselves, right? So hard to see it in ourselves. I can, you know, I, mean, I can tell you all about Brad's sin. I can see it a mile away. I can't see my own. Jesus spoke to that, where he said, you know, hey, look, take the plank out of your own eye before you look at the speck. In your friends. I mean, it's easy to see those specks in somebody else's eye. But you can't see the, you know, this board that's coming at your own life. So, it, it's, that's my premise. We all suffer from Stockholm Syndrome. We're conditioned to think well of the devil. We're conditioned to think well of sin. By the world, by the sin nature that lives in us. I mean, especially by society now. If you can find a hundred people, you pick a sin. You can find a thousand people that'll say, oh, that's not sin. 
That's just how, how you are. And it's okay. You can be that way. You can do that. It's not sin. But God freed us from the power of sin. That should be a bigger amen. I mean, really, that, that's the best news there is. God freed us from the power of sin. You don't have to be a slave. You don't have to listen to the voice that's in the back of your head always telling you, oh, you can do it, you can do it, you can, you can do what's good. Because God told you it was good. Chapter 8 in Romans. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Make no mistake, the power of sin that lives in each and every one of us leads down one path alone, and that path leads toward death and destruction and torment eternally. Because you belong to him, The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law that Moses was unable to save us, or excuse me, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. What that's saying is this. The laws of the Old Testament, they had to keep going and making sacrifices. Constantly. Always making sacrifices to cover over their sin. They had to try to obey and try to obey and try to obey and try to obey, but they knew that they would fail because of the sin nature. And so the law set up a way by which they could be seen as clean and holy and come before God, kind of. But the law was imperfect because that sinful nature was never removed. There was never power over that sinful nature. It was just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. I'm awful. Here's my sacrifice. Again and again. So God did what the law could not do. He sent His own Son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Okay, a couple things to see there. There's a lot, I mean, there's big things, big rocks here. He did that so that the just requirement of the law, what the law required was good. It required people to act well, to be holy, but they failed, just like we do. The requirement of the law was just. A sacrifice had to be made. That's God's system. A blood sacrifice had to be made. A lamb, a goat, a bird. Uh, There was lots of rules and regulations. Okay? But he sent one sacrifice to cover over all 
sinners, which means all people. One sacrifice that was perfect to be the sacrifice so that we didn't have to keep coming over and over and over and over again to bring our sacrifices. We can point to the one sacrifice that he made on our behalf in Jesus Christ. Those who, oh, sorry, the second part of it, this is important. Uh, He did this so the just requirement of the law would be satisfied for us, for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. That scares me. Does that scare anybody else? It should. Look at it again. He did this so that the just requirement of the law could be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature. I still do. Do you? Every day, every hour, minute by minute, some of us, that's the struggle. We have to choose to not follow that voice. That scares me. I'm not good at it. And I work at a church. I can't imagine working on a shop floor somewhere where you're surrounded by people who at least act like they don't believe in Jesus Christ and trying to follow what the Spirit has laid out for you to do rather than that voice that's and it's saying the same thing as everybody else around you. I can't even imagine how difficult that is. When I, I mean, I've got to deal with Brad, but that's about it. You know, it's not too bad. And Corey, Corey's pretty quiet. You know. <laughs> that scares me. It should scare you to death. Doesn't for most of us. Verse 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Hmm. That's a pretty easy choice, isn't it? Death, life, and peace. I think I'll choose life and peace. But I keep choosing death. So that I can sit where it's comfortable. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. Never, ever. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Again, that's scary. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. Maybe. 
You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will what? Die. (laughs) But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, if you'll live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Man. God freed us from the power of sin. But I still choose sin. And so do you. It's like this. This is the example. I, we were talking with Brad about this earlier this week. God frees us. So we're slaves to sin. So we've got a shackle on our ankle. Right? That's, for me, a shackle on the ankle, chain, ball, whatever. You know, that looks like slavery. God has freed us, took his key, put it in the lock, turned it, opened it. says, you're free from that. You don't have to lug that around anymore. You don't have to act as though you have that anymore. And you know what we do? We reach down and we hold it closed and we walk around holding on to that shackle. Holding the shackle closed because it's comfortable, because it's what we know, and because that voice in the back of our head says, that shackle's actually freedom. That's freedom down there. Keep it on. And we believe it. I don't know what your shackle looks like. I don't. I know you have one. Because the Bible says you do. We are all slaves to sin. You've got some kind of shackle on your ankle that God says, "Uh -uh, that's not locked anymore. It's like, you've seen the the picture of the dog that's in the kennel, right? And he's standing at the door of the kennel, and the whole side of the kennel is missing. And the dog's like, somebody come let me out, somebody come let me out. And it's just open. That's us. We're the dumb dog. All of us. It's open. We don't have to stand at the closed gate. We don't have to hold that shackle to our ankle anymore. 
What we have to do is allow the Holy Spirit control in our lives. Well, Keith, so you're saying I just have to exchange one control for another. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much, that's it. You get to exchange the control of being controlled by someone who wants you to die. You can exchange that for the control of someone who wants you to live a beautiful life. And after that, this life is done, wants you to live a beautiful eternity. The shackle guy just wants you to die a lot. So, we've got to find a way to cast aside our shackles. Part of the difficulty is, is that I can't tell you what yours look like, like I said, but you know. You know what it is. Without even having to think about it. You know what at least one of them is in your life. You know. Eh, that's probably it. And you know, now that you think about it, you're holding that shackle closed. Aren't you? I'm a fan of the Lord of the Rings books. J.R.R. Tolkien. I've read them I don't know how many times I've read them and listened to audio recordings of them and watched the movies and the extended version of the movies and the behind the scenes. There's one part in it that <laughs> struck me as I was preparing for this. Um, if you've read the books or watched any of those, you'll know that one of the bad guys in that is Saruman. He looks like a good guy. He used to be a good guy. Big white beard, got a big old castle thing he lives in. Super powerful. Well, the, our protagonist, one of them anyway, Gandalf, comes and he, he comes before Saruman, and Saruman has lost most of his power, but he still has the power of his voice. Right? You remember this part? And so Gandalf brings several of his, the, the, the troop along with him, and they come before him, and he warns them. He says, Look, He's got power in his voice. You're going to want to believe what he says. They're like, oh, come on. I'm not stupid. And so, calls him out, and Saruman begins to talk, telling them things that sound like they should be true. They should be good. They should be right. And all the while he's talking to one of them, all the rest of them are snickering because they can see right through it. But as soon as he talks to the next one, that person is like, oh, well, yeah, that's right. And the other guy's laughing at him because, oh, stupid. That's, that's what that voice is. Think about it. I mean, that, for me, that's a great picture. The voice in my, the back of my head that's telling me, do these things, it's okay. That's Saruman. The only power he has is the power of his voice. We have a stronger power. 
In the end of it, Gandalf says, ah, your staff is broken and it breaks. And he sends him off. He breaks his power. Um, that's what God has done for us with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is much more powerful than the devil is. We are just not real bright. We have a hard time seeing through what the devil says to us. We think he's like Saruman and he wants what's good for us, but he doesn't really. One other thing that I, I thought might be helpful is um, a little later in Galatians, is it uh, five? Yeah. Five, um, 19, I think is where I was. There we go. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, it's amazing how many different places in the New Testament this same thing keeps coming up. You think it might be important. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty plain. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you wonder, is there a way I can tell this voice in the back of my head? Is it telling me to do something that's going to lead to death or something that's going to lead to life? A good gauge is Galatians 5, 19 through 24. Does it lead toward those things that are sinful, that are going to lead toward death, where you will not inherit the kingdom of God? Or are they things that are like the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's a good gauge. When it comes down to it, we all have to choose. We have to choose whether we're going to follow the Holy Spirit, follow the easy path of the voice in our heads. Some of you today may not, may not know what the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds like. You don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that is the first place to start. And if that's you today, we would love nothing better than to introduce you to what a relationship with Christ looks like and help you begin that journey of walking with Him and understanding more and more day by day what walking with Christ looks like. I'm not saying we do it well. <laughs> I'm not saying we get it right all the time. But I'm saying we're trying just like you are. 
And I would love, as much as I can point you, I will point you. Brad will help. Some of our, we've got lots of folks here who've been living a life of faith for a long time. And they can help as well. You may have a friend that you came with that's like maybe a step ahead of you on the journey. They can help you take the next step. Okay. So let's pray. Our team's going to come up. We're going to sing. We're going to worship some more together. If during that time you want to come and pray, you're welcome to come and pray. If you want to talk to somebody about getting to know Jesus Christ today, man, you come up. We would love to. We can talk to you in here. We can take you out of the room. Whatever we need to do, we would love to begin that journey with you. So let's pray together as our team comes up this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you gave us a way out. That you gave us a way that we don't have to suffer through sin and death. God, I pray that you would help us to listen to your voice in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts, in those around us, in your word. God, I pray that you would speak clearly, that you would speak loudly to each and every one of us. God, I ask today that whatever it is, the sin that each and every one of us is dealing with today, that you would give us the presence of mind to know what it is. And most importantly, God, that you would give us the power today to get past that voice, to tell it to be quiet, to tell it to get away, to tell it we're not going to listen anymore. God, help us today to live for you with all that we are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Let's sing.